0: In. Cut to. Exterior
1: Interior Restaurant Bar Club
0: Thank you for watching our inaugural, our inaugural video presentation of restaurant fiction. My name is Monis Rose. What is restaurant fiction? We are the podcast turning show, obviously, that reviews fictional restaurants, bars, and clubs in TV and film, as well as bring on the creative tastemaker, the influencer, the chef, the executive, the showrunner, the writer, the director, yada, 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 to talk about the iconic institution. Anyway, who is, who is today's guest? It is none other than Quentin Tarantino's mentor. That's what I like to call him. His name is John Amiel. John Amiel. Well, let's see. He directed, he directed a movie with Hillary Swain called The Core. He directed a movie with Harry Connick Jr. called Copycat. And he directed the Catherine Zeta Jones and Sean Connery film Entrapment. He is on restaurant fiction, not to talk about those films, but to talk about the fictional cafe, the fictional cafe called Lucky Cafe from his film, his, one of his earliest films queen of hearts. We are doing it at his wife's coffee shop all the way in Santa Monica. It's called Russet Coffee with obviously his wife, Tara. They were incredibly kind to us at Restaurant Fiction, provided some of the best scones, provided some of the best cups of joe in all of California. Honestly, before we even start, get your butts to Russet Coffee. Do yourselves a favor. Even if you don't live in the SoCal area, we'll just fly, go to Russet Coffee, go back to wherever you live, Trust me, you'll die happy because of it. All right, that's enough about us. That's enough about our incredible introduction. I mean, John and Tara are all over the place. Just even meet them at Russet Coffee. We're going to get to this awesome conversation. Break down the Lucky Cafe. Break down Russet Coffee and just talk about life. All right. Thanks for watching. Guys, gals. When you're in London, coffee shops are a dime a dozen. Let's just say, like, as soon as Starbucks came on the scene 30 years ago, boom, 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 you know? And yeah, if you want corporate Starbucks and coffee, great, tomato, tomato. But if you want a mom pod joint that really uh, treasures, treasures the espresso, treasures the coffee ground, you go to a mom pod joint in the Italian Quarter of London in Clerkenwell. And how do you know, how do you know that this place uh, delivers and makes the best cappuccino, the best espresso as well? Just look at the machine. You see, the machine has a name, La Bella Macchina, the beautiful machine. You see, this is, uh, and also when you look at it, you you see this beautiful bronze or gold-plated machine, and there is an eagle at the top. And an eagle signifies that this machine is made with the ultimate craftsmanship, the ultimate art, and the fusion of all things coffee and espresso. And what is also great and beautiful about this machine? Well, guess what? It's not automatic. It is manual. It is manual to a T. So it takes an artisan in a way to make a uh, your cup of joe, if you will, your espresso, your double shot. And what am I trying to say here? Because that means your water temperature is going to be perfect. The pressure is going to be perfect. There's going to be an ebb and flow. There's going to be this just amazement. Because when you get either your cup, either a little bite size or a cappuccino, well, it's kind of like the contents inside the Holy Grail. It's going to be dark. It's going to be rich. It's going to be creamy. It's going to be Goldilocks. It's going to be just right. Now, so what are we trying to say at Restaurant Fiction? Well, you know, to run a small mom-pa joint like Rustic Coffee, where we are right now, or like the Lucky Cafe, it's not all sunshine, rainbows, and lollipops, but when you put... uh the love and coffee, it truly, truly shines. All right, so we are talking to the director of Queen of Hearts, which features the Lucky Cafe, the fictional restaurant of the director's work, John, Emil. John, how was that review of your coffee shop, the Lucky Cafe, in your movie?
1: How was that review? No. Yeah, not bad. We've had better, um, <laughs> but I'll take it. Um, no, it it, it 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 was great. Um, it'll do absolutely fine. And what you say about the coffee is true. But really, I think why people come to neighbourhood cafes like the Lucky Cafe, or indeed like Rustic Coffee right behind me, it's about a lot more than the coffee. It's really a, a, about a vibe that's generated by the people that run the the place. And you know, fine if you're in a foreign city and you see a Starbucks and it's a familiar name, and you want a familiar taste of fairly mediocre coffee. Then, then good luck to you. But places like the Lucky Cafe and places like this really cater for a community, and and they work best when they're plugged into that community. The Lucky Cafe, um, you know, run by Italian immigrants for immigrants, create you know a place where where people come and do sit and play cards all day and nobody gives them shit or, or, you know, a place like this where, where all the local neighborhood now come just to hang, to see and to be seen. Um, that's what really good, uh, local cafes are about they they they're, you're right. They're about love, but it's not just the love that goes into the making of that cup of coffee, you know, fresh baked food, handmade sandwiches, that's what you, you, you know, a sense of home is really what you're looking for.
0: And what are your ways of making it more than just
1: a place for characters to talk? Well, there's a huge challenge with the restaurant. You know, um, as a director, I, I generally deplore scenes where people are sitting at a table and talking to each other. There's no new <laughs> shot sorry guys (laughs) you know i loathe and despise those awful tracking shots where you follow a bogus waiter you know in order to get to the table and that's supposed to be your establishing shot um you know um it essentially you're kind of stuck with two people talking to each other at a table the moment you get to a restaurant so the challenges are to create any kind of dynamism um, yes, I could get up and you could track me over to the counter where I pick up my cappuccino and my, uh, 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 uh the cranberry orange scone. Um, hardly the stuff of great drama. Um, but I think th- the fact is that, you know, unless you're shooting a scene like Goodfellas where the guys hang out in this club. Cafe, and that's where the shootings happen and and uh, Michael imperioli gets a bullet in his foot from Joe Pesci. you know, unless you're doing that kind of shit, um, you have to accept that most restaurant scenes are going to be about talking, and then just going to make sure the talk's damn good. Uh, the worst thing on the planet is is you know exchange of views dialogue, you know um. So I hear you just got married recently, Fred. You know, tell me about your marriage. You know, um, that sort of shit. You, what you need is drama, and drama is based in conflict. And, and so somehow, if you're getting a good scene in a restaurant, it should ideally play this fruitful tension, the disparity between the seemingly placid surface Of the restaurant, the service, the food, the white linen napkins, the clink of good crystal, the sparkle of silverware, and the tension that's going on between the interlocutors at that table. That's when you start to make good drama out of a restaurant scene.
0: Quentin Tarantino publicly has complimented you on giving him writing advice on Reservoir Dogs.
1: Where, where did you do that? I, I I didn't know that. Yeah. When you, you um, told, you told I, me that in the email. Yeah. I, very pleasant. I went, it, oh, that's nice. Yeah. I, yeah. You,
0: it, I mean, there was several movie blogs. I, I literally, I Googled, um, I pretty much just, yeah, Googled you. And then I also just Googled you and other amazing directors. And that was... Uh, it was like synonymous. Your yeah. name and his name was like, okay, awesome. And, but what, and what he said, you know, is that you gave him the note on Reservoir Dogs, because it was like the 25th anniversary of Reservoir Dogs, mm. and you gave him the note of subtext, like you're like, hey, Quentin, uh, like, no, this is not verbatim, but it's like, dude, subtext, man. And from that, he's like, you made him a better writer. He didn't, you know, and he compliments you. So what I'm saying is, yeah, how does, um, I guess, Uh, First and foremost, how does a director enhance a writer and vice versa? How does a writer enhance a director? I love the job of mentoring
1: and I got to be an advisor at Sundance at the director's labs for several years. And one of the first directors I got to work with was this young, uh, highly, highly energetic and obviously brilliantly gifted young director called Quentin Tarantino working on Reservoir Dogs. Um, and yes, that was part of of my feedback to him. And, and there were a few other things we talked at length about structure, story structure. And, um, I think I was able to be useful to him. Um, in ways that uh, I, I would always love, have loved some mentor to have been useful to me. Um, director, director is always tricky. You have to tread extremely delicately because you don't, you know, they have a vision, they have their, a sense of autonomy that's very important to a director. And so working director to director, you you have to work on an extremely, it doesn't, you don't need to be delicate, but, but you need to be extremely circumspect and respectful in terms of the advice you give and the way you give it. Um, as a director who works a great deal with writers, and I just came from a three-hour session working with a writer this morning, um, it's different. You, uh, uh, as a director, there, you're essentially both trying to impart your vision while empowering them populate their vision with their own sensibility and their own particularity with the details um, so that, that what you get back from them is something that they feel is as much theirs as yours. To me, a movie it is like an airplane. You know, you're going to basically take off in that plane and you're going to fly the Atlantic in a lot of turbulence. That's what making a movie feels like. You haven't fucking bolted the wings onto that thing properly. If you suddenly go, oh ho, oh, I think we need a new wing, actually, and you're flying at thirty-five thousand feet in high turbulence, you're screwed. Um, so, I I take the script and shake it like a puppy with a slipper till nothing else falls off, and then and then tighten it, build it, rework it re-engineer it until it feels totally to continue my rather strained analogy um airworthy you know you've
0: you've made films that are personal you made big budget sci-fi films you made psychological thrillers um how what are your ways of having such an amazing varied career versus being pigeonholed in one space
1: yeah. So, you know, I look at myself, I think um, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a, a, a husband, a lover, a friend, blah, 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 You know, I'm all these different things. I, I look at, and, and each of them has a different expression. I look at the films I've loved and I look at the huge variety of films I've loved, uh, the variety of genres. And when I set out to be a filmmaker. Um, I made, I, I basically said, I want to make, you know, film in every genre I've ever loved. I want to make a horror film. I want to make a serial killer thriller. I want to make a, a, a romantic comedy. I want to make a screwball comedy. I want to make a, a, a disaster movie. I want to make a beautiful heist movie. I want to make a, a, a crime comedy like the Danny Kay movies that I grew up with. Um, you know, I, I was. I, this was my dream. What it was a mistake, professionally. I thought, oh, how clever to put my premature on on all these different genres. So if a studio had a comedy, or they had a a murder mystery, or or a rom com, or whatever, they go, oh, Emil could do that. What I didn't bargain was with was we were quietly sailing into the age of specialization, you know, and more and more these days in America, you've got, you know, a knee injury. You, you don't go to an orthopedist anymore. You go to a knee guy and, you know, and somebody will tell you, well, he's better with right knees than left knees. You know, you should go to the left knee guy. Um, In, in Hollywood now, it's more like, you know, they've got a movie about two men and a, and a dog, and you directed a movie about two men and a cat. They go, no, nah, uh, yeah, no, it's great, but it, but it was a cat. We we want a guy who did the two movies, two, you know, the two guys and a dog movie. Um, they're looking for the, in a world where the outcome of, of, of green lighting a movie is so desperately uncertain, they're looking for certainties and to them in their extremely limited um, imaginations uh, the the guy that did it before is the best guy to do it again when i cast actors i work on exactly the opposite principle i w- you know if if somebody comes into me and she's always played blonde ingenues and she's coming in for a blonde ingenue i'm looking at thinking why would i do that it, she's going to be bored I'm not going to be excited and the audience is not going to be surprised. But what if I cast that blonde ingenue as the psychopathic nanny as Curtis Hansen had the good wits to do with Rebecca de Mornay in the hand of rocks cradle, for example. Now it's interesting now because artists, actors, directors work best when they're scaring themselves and you're scaring yourself because you're going to somewhere you've never gone before. But from that element of fear comes excitement. And in that excitement, there's a freshness, there's a rawness, there's something that an audience will actually feel. I'm unrepentant about my choices, even though it's not helped my career. I continue to love to scare the shit out of myself in the choices of movies. I make, and one of the ways I do that is by, by doing something I've never done before, and feel in the doing of it, I I learn a lot.
0: How did how do you put I guess love into everything you make? Like how do you put that awesome Tara love into everything you make, <laughs> creatively, um, culinary wise, whatever?
1: Okay, well that's an easy question because. Um, it's It's easy because I love what I do and and um love everything that I make, and it's a labor of love for me I can vouch for that because she most mornings has to get up at five in the morning to start baking fresh um you know you can only do that and keep smiling at customers all day if you actually love what you're doing um also having watched Tara, you know, fight with with owners of restaurants that she's run because they want to substitute materials from Costco or or Smart and Final when she wants, um, you know, well-grown, you know, fresh farm eggs and Strauss Farms yogurt instead of generic yogurt. And watching her... Choose her ingredients with love and respect for the people that are going to eat her food. That's where I also see the love going in. How did
0: both of you find your voice, your creative voice? And you can, and how would you describe that voice?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, it, you know, it's hard. It's very competitive out here, and people want to always take the easy way out. And I think being original and sticking to your true roots and staying at it. People really appreciate that. I think Tara also has a really good sense of who her customers are. And and going back to your audience. Yes. You know, as, as a filmmaker, I need to understand my audience as a restaurateur. You need to know your customers and, and there's no point in, in obsessing about high end ingredients if you you're catering for an audience that doesn't give a shit, but this this customer base does, and they're immediately responding to um, handmade foods, you can't get that delicious orange and cranberry scone that I just inhaled. I'm not gonna.
0: Um, lie. I don't mean to interrupt you, but usually scones are dry as fuck. That was buttery and yeah. moist and that
1: comes from my southern background many many uh buttermilk biscuits so i incorporate biscuit recipe into the scone recipe which gives it that lighter taste and yeah. um yeah i don't even like scones i would never have a scone as a rule they're not my thing but you know those orange cranberry scones so yeah it's it's about knowing your audience knowing your customer and um I, I think that in our very different ways, that's what we both try and do. Yep. Uh you have a choice of getting advice
0: from your either your eighteen year old self or your ninety year old self. And remember, your ninety year old self is lucid, they're healthy, they're they're everything is working in good order. Who are you receiving advice from? I'd probably tell
1: my ninety year old self to fuck off with your wisdom and your your kind of all that wise bullshit. Um there's a fascinating book called From Strength to Strength that posits the idea that actually great creative curve in one's life is basically done by the time you're 35. Most of us, in terms of, of, of cerebral and creative abilities, peaked by 35. And if you're going to, to uh, thrive in this world, you have to recognize that there's a second curve, which is about not about knowledge and about creativity, but understanding how to use that knowledge and and how to use that creativity. So um, I, I feel that my 18-year-old self was so determined to be mature and wise that I forgot to actually live part of my adolescence. Um, you know, being a geeky guy with frizzy hair and glasses... I had to trade on the fact that I was, you know, super mature, super smart, you know. Uh, It was the only way I could get any interest from the girls at at all. Um, And um, so I think there was a part of me me that I forgot to really celebrate that was wild, naive, but highly energized. And uh, I kind of feeling like I want to celebrate that part of me now. Yeah. What question to both of you am I
0: not asking?
1: You haven't asked me, what is the meaning of life? John, what is the meaning of life? Well, Manis, I have no fucking idea. I'm so glad you didn't ask me that question, because... (laughs) (laughs) The more I live, the less I fucking know. So, go figure.
0: Well, shit, was that an awesome episode or what? First of all, thank you, thank you, thank you to John and Tara for talking to us at Restaurant Fiction. Thank you to you, the watcher, the audience, the listener, for, yeah, watching this episode, for listening to this episode. All right. So anyway, number one is do yourselves a favor and get to Russet Coffee in Santa Monica, California. It overlooks the ocean, uh, Santa Monica Beach, well, Rogers Beach, Sunset Beach. If you surf, if you bodyboard, if you just want to hang out, go and then get yourself a coffee and a scone or vice versa, and do it over and over and over again. Trust me, your body, your soul, your spirit will thank you. That's right. Tara's Joint, Rustic Coffee, Santa Monica, California. Number two, check out John's work. Not only Queen of Hearts, of course, that one, but all of his work. He directed a slew of movies and so much, so many episodes of great television. And as for us, at Restaurant Fiction, you found us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching this inaugural episode of, yeah, we're going live. This video visual element. We've been scared for some time. We're getting past that fear, and we're putting a face to the logo, to the voice. But if you want to at least listen to more before we actually have more of these visual episodes, well, guess what? we're on the Spotify, we're on iTunes. Like, subscribe to us, leave a comment. I believe I'm supposed to point here or there or there. I'm going to figure that out later, you know, working out the kinks to this anyway. We have well over 80 episodes. Pick and choose. Listen to them all. If you have a comment, concern, email me. My name is Monis at restaurantfiction.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And as always, keep it real, keep it fresh, And keep on the flip side. Cut to. Exterior. Interior.
1: Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night.